1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So all of us are a part of the body of Christ. Verse 13, the very next verse says that by one spirit, in one spirit or by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. It goes on to say, and we have all drank, we all drank of the same spirit. So there's a double action at the moment of conversion. Christ came in you by the Holy Spirit. And in the same way, you came in Christ by the Holy Spirit. So you're in him exactly the same way he's in you. How do I know he's in me? I can sense his presence in me. How does he know that you're in him? He feels the same way. Hallelujah. So the Passion Translation says, I don't know if they have this or not, but it says we were all immersed and mingled into a single body. We were all immersed and mingled into a single body. So we are connected to him and we are his vessels in the earth. Hallelujah. So I just want to emphasize this fact that we are the body of Christ. We are his body. So I read this online. I've seen this in different places, but there was a, a, a Catholic, Roman Catholic church in the city of San Diego, California. And they had a statue of Jesus in their compound. And vandals, uh, hoodlums, uh, broke off the hands of the statue. And instead of repairing the damaged statue, the church leaders decided to attach a plaque with these words inscribed. I have no hands but yours. And they were actually referencing, they were referring to a poem that was written by a Roman Catholic nun. Her name was St. Teresa of Alvia. I think she's from Spain. And she died in the year 1582. But the whole poem, short poem is this. Let me read it to you. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which is to look out Christ's compassion to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless men now. So what she's saying is this, and she's right, that whatever work Christ Jesus desires to do in the earth, he must do it through his body. There's no other choice. He must use believers like you, like us. It's interesting, in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, it tells us that Christ took upon himself human flesh. He was clothed with humanity so that he could die, die for us. And it goes on to say, so that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil. But the word destroy doesn't mean like eliminate because there's still a devil. The Bible says resist the devil. It didn't annihilate him. The word destroy means to render powerless. But one translation says so that he might paralyze the devil. But sadly, often it's the body of Christ that's paralyzed. Are listening to me? Amen. Immobilized by fear or stricken with the palsy of self-centeredness. You know, if somebody has, has um, is a, uh, a paraplegian, quadriplegian, 
They may think, I, I want to move my arm, but the arm doesn't respond. That describes Christ's body today. The head is saying, go here, but the body doesn't respond. Are you listening to me? So we know that the work of God in the earth will never be any stronger than the body of Christ. And the body is not one member, but many. So we have seen over the course of many generations, prominent men of God, notable, powerful men of God who were effective in their ministries. And we appreciate that. We thank God for that. But it is not God's desire that the church have strong leaders over an emaciated body. He wants the entire body of Christ to be vibrant, healthy, strong, and productive. Are you listening to me? Amen. We are the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, let's look at this verse for a moment here. It says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are to what? Grow up into him who is the head, into Christ. So it's important to be reminded of this fact that the new birth is not the end of our Christian experience. Some churches sort of leave the impression that, the, that being born again is the sum total of the Christian life. It, it begins and ends there and there's nothing else. You're saved now, so have a seat and wait for the rapture. But that's not true because that's only the starting point of the Christian life. You know, it is a cause for rejoicing when a baby is born. We all celebrate. You know, sister and, uh, brother, brother and sister Zama Zama had a baby yesterday. We all say praise God, right? But it would also be a cause for serious concern if that baby never grew. It would be wonderful to see Sister Zamazama holding her newborn infant this Sunday. Forty years from now, if she's still holding that 40-year-old son, it's a tragedy. God, everything, every, everything that God made is intended to grow. Hallelujah. So just as we develop physically and should mature emotionally... Look at your neighbor one more time. Just as we develop physically and should <clears throat> mature emotionally, our Heavenly Father wants all of His children to grow up spiritually. Amen. Now, I thought this was very interesting. So, Brother Kenneth Copeland said that in 1967, he was a... a rather young man at that time, he attended a conference at Oral Roberts University. Uh, he was there with his family. And at the end of the meeting or the session, Oral Roberts, you know, laid hands on everybody that was there. These were mostly his partners of his ministry. And so Kenneth Copeland came forward and laid hands on him. And Kenneth, Brother Copeland said that as he was heading back to his seat, he kind of looked at the, the large audience in the auditorium, and suddenly God gave him a vision. And I'll read his own words now. He said, all of a sudden, right before my eyes, the physical bodies of the people disappeared. He's talking about the people in the crowd in the congregation. The physical bodies of the people disappeared. It's like they became transparent and I could see their spirits on the inside of them. It was a heart-wrenching sight. Their spirits were horribly emaciated. They looked like the pictures you've seen of Holocaust victims in concentration camps, you know, like from World War II, Jews and others who were put in concentration camp 
collapsed by the Nazis. They were so malnourished, weak and sickly, they appeared to be almost dead. They had great big heads and frail, shriveled up spirits. Weeping with what I later realized, what I came to understand was the compassion of God, I said, Lord, what is this? These are my people, the Lord said. Their spirits have been starved. Their heads are full of religious knowledge at the expense of their spirit man. And then Brother Copeland said, but why are you showing this to me? And he said, because I've called you to change this situation and feed my people the word of God. God wants his people to be strong spiritually, to grow up and mature spiritually. Amen? But what does spirit, thank you for your enthusiasm, but what does spiritual maturity look like? Well, let me read to you another translation, again, going back to Ephesians chapter uh, 4 and verse 15 in the CEV translation it says that if we speak the truth in love we will grow up in every way to be more like Christ of course it's important to remember that spiritual maturity is not measured by gifts but by fruit do you mean to say that spiritually immature and carnal people can have gifts of the spirit emphatically yes the church at Corinth proved that's possible Paul told them, you are carnal, you are babes in Christ. And yet, from, yet he said in the first chapter, you come behind in no gift. If you have a gift, you know, even in the natural, that says more about the person who gave it than the person who possesses it. See, if you have a gift, that doesn't prove you're mature. That proves God is generous. Any fool can have a gift. But spiritual maturity is measured by Christian character. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, we don't mature spiritually simply by speaking the word in love. I, and I don't think that's what Paul means because he, he referenced earlier that there are people who are deceptive. You know, who are, the, the Greek says they're like dice throwers, they're sleight of hand, tricksters, they're dishonest. You know, and people are following every wind of doctrine. What, what he means by that is they're, 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 not, they're not speaking the truth. They're not giving people God's word. But what he means, I'm sure, is that we grow, by, we grow up by living God's word, by hearing it, accepting it. Some people don't want to hear anything. Some people internally reject everything they hear unless they like it. Believing it and obeying it, and of course, obeying the word is the proof that you really do believe it, right? And declaring it, making God's word your vocabulary. Amen. So it is not sufficient, it is not sufficient for a few notable Christians to be Christ-like. For the plan of God to be fulfilled in our generation, all believers need to grow up. I'll say that again. For the plan of God to be fulfilled, all believers, every part of the body of Christ must be mature, healthy, and strong. Hmm. So I would evaluate a church's effectiveness not by how spiritual the pastor is, but by how spiritual the least member of that church is. Now's not a good time to leave the service, by the way. I said, I would evaluate a church's effectiveness, not by how spiritual the pastor is, but by how spiritual the least member of that church is. Amen. In other words, the real test 
is not how well I'm doing, but how well you're doing. Really, the, the real point of this is not how well I preach, but how well you live. Of course, how well I live is also important, but that alone is, is not, the, not the thing. See, it won't do for, well, Brother John is healthy, Brother John is prosperous, Brother John is happy, and meanwhile, we're depressed, we're broke, we're sick, busted, and disgusted. But Brother John is blessed. No, 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 that's not going to work. Your success is my success. They won't do. It should not be that, well, Brother John has a nice car. Brother John has a nice house. Meanwhile, we ride third-hand, second-hand broken bicycles, you know, and bus number 11, and, and, and we all live under a bridge somewhere. That, 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 would, that, would, that would make me a failure. Amen? Hallelujah. A friend of mine visited, and I don't mean to be ugly about this. I'm not going to tell you the details because I mean this to be constructive, if, if it's possible. But a friend of mine visited a very large church in America, and uh, he was seated in the back of the auditorium, a far distance from the platform. And he said that throughout the service, one thing that bothered him was the people around him in his section were barely even participating in the service. I mean, like when it was time to like praise God, you know, to sing or worship God, they just remained seated just staring off into space while the pastor was preaching the Word of God. And, and I don't blame the pastor for this necessarily, but they're just examining their cell phones. They're just like, you know, and, and they weren't like, you know, looking at the Scriptures. They're like looking at Amazon.com or something like, you know, just something else. They're, they're just being distracted. And that, that left a bad taste in his mouth, that because, and that should be a worrying sign. Again, it's not how well... I, I believe in prosperity, but I don't believe in the kind of prosperity where the only guy that prospers is the guy preaching it. <laughs> Please don't look at your cell phone now. I, I would really, you know, <laughs> I would really feel bad. Wait, wait, wait till after the service. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Notice again Ephesians 4.15. I'm talking about the body of Christ. That in this verse, Paul calls Christ the head, the head of the body. Well, your body is controlled by your head. Do your feet and hands operate independently of your brain? I hope not. You would have something seriously wrong with you, like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Come here, come back here. You know, your feet just go somewhere else. No, that, that's, that's some kind of a strange, you know, disease. Amen? So we don't work apart from Christ. Like, if my hand starts doing something that I didn't tell it to do, I don't appreciate that. I would be concerned about that. What are you doing, you know? Well, why would Christ feel differently? Every move we make should be at his direction. See, he's not the head only on Sunday at 10 a.m., Because you're not in the body of Christ only on Sunday at 10 a.m. Okay, now I'm in the body. Whoop, look at that lunchtime. I'm going to step out of the body now. No, it doesn't work that way. Amen. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, you can say amen or smile or you know, just, just say glory, whatever. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The Greek is very emphatic, not even one thing. Now, of course, you and I understand you can certainly fail apart from him. You've proven that on your own already. But you can't do anything positive. You can't accomplish anything living independent of him. In other words, you don't get saved and just kind of get a blessing. Okay, thank you. Oh, I feel good. I got a blessing. And then I just go live my life. And if I have a problem, I'll come back and say, hey, uh, can you fix my problem? You're connected to him. You're in the body. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Now, some people want Christ to lead them in major decisions only. Like when they're, when they're facing a big choice, 
You know, who should I marry? You know, Sister Zama Zama has two proposals, Brother Dumb Funny and Brother, Brother Hickey Bicky. And, you know, and she's thinking, who should I? So, Lord, help me. Give, Lord, show me which of the two, right? Or, or where sh- I, have a, I have an opportunity maybe for a career, you know, in another place. I'm going to go to another country. Oh, Lord, you know, everybody pray for me that God would guide me. But the, but the old adage is this. If you take care of the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. And what that means is, is that if you will be led by the Lord every day, even in the small minor decisions of life, you will eventually find yourself smack dab in the middle of the perfect will of God. But if you only want to be led when you want to be led, you're probably going to spend most of your life out of God's perfect will. In other words, there are probably people who are here today that have certain questions. And the way God answered your questions by telling you, get yourself in that Wednesday service. And you said, it's raining. And God said, I'm the weatherman. I'll take care of the rain. You just get yourself there. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, after I graduated from Bible school, having no particular place to go, I went home. And uh, the Bible says, if any is not willing to work, neither should he eat. And since that's one habit I'm not willing to give up, I had to work. It's not a dirty word, W-O-R-K, work, it's a good word, you know. And uh, in the process of time, I was speaking with some friends, and actually one, uh, one dear sister I know, and she said to me, Brother John, you should meet Maury, Brother Maury. Do you know him? No. He's really into like world missions and overseas ministry and things of that nature, and, and you ought to meet him. And I wasn't particularly interested, I mean... What church does he come from? What ministry is he part of? Does he go to like a Rama church, a word of faith church, something like that? No, he belongs to this kind of old line Pentecostal church, you know, sort of. And I'm like, eh, you know, I wasn't personally, I wasn't super duper excited about that. Okay. And uh, anyways, somehow it was arranged and I went to, to that place, uh, her place, and Brother Maury and his wife was there. You know, nice to meet you. I, I didn't really care, you know, honestly. Not, n- not to be ugly, but, you know, so. And um, Brother Maurice says he's part of a, a ministry, and they're going to ho- hold a crusade meeting in the country of Haiti. Like in a few weeks' time, they're going to Haiti. Haiti is an island in the Caribbean. It's also the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. I had no desire to go to Haiti. Zero. Nada. Zilch. Uh-uh. No desire. I had never in my life said, Lord, send me to Haiti. I don't think any intelligent person would pray that way, you know, because it's a terrible place. I'm just telling you, it's, it's just a dreadful place to go. And then Brother Maury says, you know, you sh- you sh- I think you should, should come with us. And I was like, you know how it is. Somebody asks you something like, hey, would you, we're, we're going to have an all-night prayer meeting. Am I actually want to come? And you're like, Or when you're single, and I was single at that time, you know, when you meet a nice Christian sister at church and say, would you like maybe to, to have a cup of coffee with me? And she goes, I'll pray about it. One sister said that to me. She's still praying. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, but as I began to think about it, that conversation kept coming back to me. Why don't you join us and go to Haiti? And the more, the more I thought about it, the more it felt, for lack of a better expression, it felt good inside. And by the way, God knows you, and he knows how to deal with you. Just like some of you are parents, and you have three, four, some of you have multiple children, right? And each child is different. They don't all respond the same, Right? I have three children. When they're they all they all they didn't all respond the same, you know. Like like um, my daughter when she was little, you could just look at her kind of a little mean look and she would cry. 
my, my, my older son, if you did that, he would just ignore it. You, you have to hit him in the head with a hammer, and he would go, oh. So God knows you. He knows whether he needs to just look at you or hit you in the head with a hammer. He, he knows who you are. So he has a certain method of dealing with you, in line with God's word, of course. So God knows me. He knows that John needs, needs some time to process this. He's not going to just catch it right away, you know. And, um, and every time I thought about it, it just seemed good to me. My head was going, you don't want to go there. So I, I, I told them, I, I'll join, and they were great. So I went to Haiti. I was there for six weeks, part of this team, you know, it was an interesting place, interesting thing. Everybody I met asked me for a dollar. Because, uh, I mean, sorry, but I'm like the only white guy on the entire island, except for the other people on my team. I look like a tube light walking around at night. And since I was skinnier, I really look like it. Now I'm more like a, a halogen bulb, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> And, and every Haitian, doesn't, they don't speak English, but they all have learned this phrase, hey blanc, which means hey white, give me a dollar. Everybody, like old women, you know, children, every, hey blanc, give me a dollar. Everybody just says that to you, you know. Anyways, so I couldn't wait to get out of there. I just like, it was good though. I, I, was, I helped with the crusade. I worked with the counselors and different things like that. And, it was, and, you know, handing out leaflets and all kinds of things like that. They even let me preach a little bit, which was, you know, very risky. But they went ahead and let me do it. And it was actually very good and things like that. So it was wonderful. And now the crusades are over. We had three of them. It's over. And I'm ready to go home. It's December, Christmas is coming. I don't want to spend Christmas here, that's for sure. So I wanted to go home. I got, a, I got my ticket to fly back to America, you know. And so we had one last prayer meeting. And then when the meeting was over, we're kind of dispersing. And I heard the main evangelist say to Brother Maury, Brother Maury, I want you to fly to the other side of the island, which is the Dominican Republic, because islands split in two. It's a totally different country. I want you to fly to the other side of the island, Dominican Republic, and set up crusade meetings there for me, like in, in the spring or something like that. So um, I overheard that because they're just talking right there. So I'm walking back to my room, and the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Brother Maury is going to ask you to go with him to the Dominican Republic, and I want you to go. I pretended like I didn't hear it, just like you do sometimes. Have you ever seen like a little boy, you know, the mother says, come inside, it's time to do your homework. And he's like, my, when my children were small, Jeppy would say, come inside. And it's like they're all deaf now. They can't hear anything. But then you could whisper, let's get ice cream. And from the other side of the compound, they would shout out, me too, I'm coming, you know, so... Selective hearing. So, so then Brother Maury, just right after that, I mean like right after that, he says, hey, Brother John. And I turned and walked briskly to my room, you know. And he, he came running, Brother John, oh, wait, I want to talk to you. And I pretended like I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> Brother John, Brother John, hey, wait a minute. I want to say something to you. And finally he caught up with me. He says, I want to ask you a question. I said, I know. And the answer is yes. <laughs> but, but it was actually a really good experience. Because in the Dominican Republic, I learned how they set up large meetings like that from scratch. With only like a name and a phone number. Or an address. Or like maybe two names. It was a real trip. Finding these people, you know, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Some guy that somebody referred to lives in some village nobody ever heard of and drive for hours. You know, it was very interesting. And that was part of my training. That prepared me for other things. But my point is, each one of those little steps, the head was directing the body. So the problem is, if you're only going where you want to go... Just write it down. You're not led by the Holy Spirit. You're led by your flesh. That's just the way it is. 
Amen? Let me just give you another little caveat. My experience in 30, 40 years, not once did God ever say to me, John, where would you like to go? What would you like to do? Well, God, I'd like to go to Hawaii. Uh, wrong answer. <laughs> Let me just give you another little thing to write down in your notebook. God is not interested in your opinion. He doesn't need your advice. Sometimes we like to give God advice. Lord, you need to do this. You know, there's a problem here. This is what you should do. You should speak to this person. In fact, you should just strike them with a lightning bolt. You should... You know, he's been God a lot longer than you've been you, so just let God be God. All right, let's move on. It's too quiet here. Bring me another busload of students. <laughs> Ephesians 4.16. We read verse 15. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice he says, from whom? Well, the verse before says Christ is the head. So from whom is referring to Christ, the head. And notice it says from him, the whole body. See, not just a few parts of the body. What happens if every part of my body is working perfectly fine except one part? The body's going to have trouble. Right? If one part of your body is not working properly, then you have a problem. You could have a very serious problem. Amen? Amen. If just one vital organ shuts down, welcome to those pearly gates. Amen. Amen. You don't have to have a complete body failure. Just everything is shut down. Just one part. Your aorta bursts, glory bound. Well, can't we just help you? No, no, it doesn't matter. You're, you're dead. <laughs> You're dead. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And, and that's just one part. Because every part of your body is necessary. No parts are superfluous. Like even like your pinky. Maybe in the body of Christ, you're the pinky. Couldn't I be the eye? No, you're the pinky, buddy. God puts you in the body where he wanted you to be. You're the pinky. Oh, man. But how many of you here today are willing to just go ahead and cut your pinky off? We'll, have the, we'll, we'll let the ushers pass the buckets around and you can drop your pinky in there. I don't need it. <laughs> no, I think I'm going to keep it. It, it. it comes in handy. You know, what about the little toe on, on the left foot, the little, the little toe? Let's just go ahead and clip that part off. Don't need that. My shoes are too tight anyways. No, you, you can't walk properly with that without, you, you, you need it. God didn't just throw in a bunch of stuff just like for fun. Let's just put that in there. Let's just put that in there. Whatever. No, no, every part is necessary. Every one of us is necessary. There's no unnecessary person here today. Everybody has an assignment. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a function. Everybody has a part to play in the body of Christ. So don't ever think, I don't need, they don't need me. Who, said, who told you that? The devil? You didn't hear that from the Bible. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And the funny thing is, the parts that are most necessary are very unattractive. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm just talking theologically, okay? Don't, don't get offended at me. But, you know, nobody here... How many of you men are married? 
Some of you are taking a long time to get that hand up. <laughs> when you met your wife, maybe her eyes, her smile, her liver. Isn't it interesting how God composed the body? You know, we're, we're real concerned about, well, you know, this is, you know, and I wish this, you know. And then, but if we were to just cut you open, ooh, God, ooh, ooh, so ugly. That is, you could be the best-looking woman in all of India, but your liver? I mean, only Dr. Bezo could fall in love with your liver. I don't know if surgeons say, look at that gallbladder. Ooh, that's a beauty. That's a beauty. I'm telling you. Give me my camera. Give me my camera. I don't I'll take a selfie. I don't know if surgeons feel that way. I don't know how they feel. But, but you, can, you can live without a finger. I, don't, I, I said it's necessary, but you, know, I, I, you can live without teeth. My grandmother, my mother's mother, she didn't have any teeth. She had false teeth. That's why you never went to her house uninvited. Because she may show up at the door without her teeth. And you can't unsee that. Once you see, you just can't unsee that. It's, it's just... You can live without a lot of things, but there's stuff in you, inside you, you cannot function without them. So maybe there's some folks who are like on exterior parts that, that are under the bright lights that are kind of, you know, uh, you know, but there are there but the body cannot live without believers who may not have a glamorous job but what they do is absolutely necessary amen amen praise the lord notice also in that same verse from whom the whole body joined and held together now a body is not a pile of pieces. I mean, if we just had like, you know, some arms and some legs and a head and a torso and, you know, and feet and just piled up enough, that is, a, that is, that is a, 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 a mess. That's not a body. The parts are fitted together, right? And no part of my body lives without the other parts. There's no part of my body that can survive without the rest of the body. Hmm? Go ahead, cut your hand off, put it on the kitchen table, and come back tomorrow and tell me if it waves at you. No, it, it, it gets, first thing, it, it, it's, it, it, it withers and dies immediately. As soon as it's separated from the body, it dies, no matter what it is. Right? I mean, they can take like an organ or something like that and stick it in a cold ice chest and quickly run and put, but, but, but outside of that, I mean, it just starts, to, it just dies. Right? In fact, it first gets cold and stiff. So when we see Christians who are cold and stiff, we know why. They're disconnected from the body. Come on. Some Christians, when I mean, even people who've been in church for years and years, they walk in Sunday morning like the Egyptian mummy. All the warmth of a public restroom. <laughs> Brotherly affection? Eh. Just stiff. Let's praise the Lord. It's like, does this guy speak English? Somebody, do you need an interpreter? Lift your hands. <laughs> They're disconnected from the body. They're not in fellowship with the body. See, we keep each other alive. You not only need God, you not only need the Word, you need others. No, it's just me and Jesus. Kind of sounds romantic. It's just me and Jesus on top of Mount Saramati, 
Just me and the Lord. That sounds very spiritual, but actually it's very phony. You cannot survive without other believers in your life. God has called you not only to have fellowship with his son, but with the body. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I've heard so many, over the years, heard so many people say this. I don't mean to be unkind, and maybe it's not always this way, but it often is this way. Well, Brother John, I'm leaving. I'm going to go to such and such a place because I got this wonderful job offer. Hmm. But don't worry. I'm going to stay on fire for God. Ooh, praise the Lord. We see them a year and a half. You know, they got a bindi. Salam. It's just, it's just, you're just, you're just lying to yourself. If you don't stay connected to the body, you will become stiff and cold and die. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. Amen. We need one another. My heart needs the arteries and the blood and the bones that actually produce the blood and the lungs which fill the blood with oxygen and the nasal passages and the sinuses, everything. It's all interconnected. No part of the body says, I don't need you. One problem that we have in general, and, and I don't think that you all are terrible in this area, but, but just a thought. Some people are, but I don't think you are. Certainly Wednesday night people are not like this, but we have a tendency to see ourselves as individuals who regularly attend a service. But that's not how God sees you. He sees you as a part of the body that functions with other parts of the body that you will never be all that God created you to be without others. Whatever God has called you to do will involve other people in the body of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And the parts of my body are always working. My, I'm not a doctor, but my heart, as far as I know, my heart is resting in between beats. I'm so many years old, and my heart has never taken a vacation. That's not called a vacation. It's called an attack, heart attack. Every part of my body is always working. Even when I sleep, my body's still working. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What happens, you know, if your kidneys go on vacation? That lovely complexion of yours is going to get spoiled real quickly. It's always working. It, it, all, it, it, isn't, it, isn't that, it, it doesn't function on Wednesday nights and during special meetings, Mother's Day and Easter. It's always that, and it's always functioning. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So that means... We need the entire body, and I don't just mean this local church, but we need the entire body of Christ to be in place and functioning all the time. I didn't write the Bible. I'm just making a deduction here from what's written. Hallelujah. And the human body is always in unity with itself. My foot is not at war with my hand. My nose is not jealous of my eye. If somebody says, you know, you have lovely eyes, my nose doesn't <laughs> snort. <laughs> my mouth doesn't <laughs> gnash. The whole body goes, oh, thank you. <laughs> well, that's what you do. I don't do that. <laughs> If somebody says, hey, you get fat, the whole body says, I know where you live. <laughs> Hallelujah. The body, the body works together. It works together. You know, so I saw this cartoon um, years ago where um, 
you know, like, like in the newspaper, they used to have, I don't think you do, but they used to have little cartoons. When I was growing up as a boy, you know, on Sunday morning, they had a section of the newspaper, just had little cartoons, little comic strips, actually, you know. And um, one of them was like called Peanuts, and it was Charlie Brown and Snoopy and all these little characters. It's like they were like little children, but it was kind of interesting little message. So in one of the cartoon strips in the newspaper, there was um, a little boy, I think, named Linus. He's watching television, and his, his, his sister, big sister comes in and says, change the channel. And he says to his sister, why should I have to acquiesce and do what you demand. And she said, you see this hand? Individually, these fingers are just mere appendages. But when they come together, they form an irresistible force. He said, what channel do you want to watch? But then after she left, he looked at his own hands and said, why can't you guys get together like that? <laughs> why can't you guys get together like that? Come on, that, that, that's, that's it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we want to be people who endeavor to maintain unity in the body of Christ. We want to be people who build more bridges and fewer walls. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that I always approve of the actions of everybody in the body of Christ. That doesn't mean that I always endorse every doctrine that someone may be promoting. Hallelujah. But we want to be agents that heal the body and help the body, not some kind of a virus that attacks the body. You know, you may say, oh, I love you, but if you break my arm, my body disagrees. And you may say, I love you, Lord, but if you are hurting his body, he finds your love to be rather hypocritical. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Amen. So if you really love the Lord, you'll do something to help his body. Can I get an amen? amen? Praise the Lord. Now, let me read the same verse in the New International Reader's Version. Under the control of Christ, each part of the body does its work. It supports the other parts. And that way, the body is joined and held together. Under the control of Christ, each part of the body does its work. It supports the other parts. In that way, the body is joined and held together. And I want to be careful how I say this, but there is a carnal kind of unity that is not under the control of Christ. And I'm not referring to that. You see, there's sometimes there are people that want to like they see themselves, I'm the great unifier, so everybody come under me and be under my control. That, that's not the kind of... See, you're not the head. He is. See, he's, he's bringing people into harmony. His spirit is not actively trying to divide people from the body of Christ. He's working to bring people into harmony, into unity. So again, if I follow the head and you follow the head, we will be in unity. And again, I said this last Sunday, but my toes and my nose never fellowship together. In fact, they have never met. But that's okay. They shouldn't meet. The only time they would meet would be in an auto accident. They are still a part of the body. They're joined together. Are you out there today? Praise the Lord. Amen. So again, Ephesians 4.3 says we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There is a kind of unity that glorifies God. And it's not based on an individual. It's not based on one man. It's something that comes from the Holy Spirit. In the 1960s and into the early 70s, there was what is commonly referred to as the 
charismatic movement where people in denominational churches were being baptized with the Holy Spirit and then also with not only speaking in tongues but then gifts of the Spirit were operating and it, it melted denominational barriers. People who were normally at odds with each other suddenly came together and it, there was no one person responsible for that. There was no one individual that, like, I control that. It was the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of unity that comes from God. And sometimes what happens is God is moving, and then we want to control it, and it stops moving. And that's how denominations are born. Now, it's good to have organization. It, it, that's a good thing, but there's something wrong when your motives are actually, I'm going to control this. And, of course, usually that means I'm the top dog and everybody's under me. You understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. The unity that God desires comes when Christ is exalted as the head and we're following him and nobody else. Verse 16 says this, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body grows when each part is working properly. Hallelujah. So this is the end of spectator church. This is the end of spectator church where you just come. In other words, we've seen, we've seen kind of a movement in general where I guess the emphasis was just to bring people in, and I, I get that and understand that, but a lot of times it's just like I'm just there to just observe. But the body doesn't grow because you have a lot of spiritual tourists. The body grows because every part is working. And it takes time for people to discover where my part is, but God's in the business of helping everybody find their place. Are you listening to me? This is the end of Spectator Church. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a part. I'll, I'll go one step further. And I've shared this before, but some of these, maybe students and others, my father was a businessman. He had his own business, and he had, you know, quite a few employees and, 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 and was involved in other business things. And in his church, you know what he did? He was an usher. And he wasn't trying to be humble. He considered it an honor to be an usher. Let me go one step further, just to help some people. So um, several years ago, I preached in uh, my own home church, and I came early that Sunday morning. Uh, one man met me when I drove up to the back door of the church, the office door. He was there to meet me, and he welcomed me and escorted me into, like, a waiting area. And um, he said, you know, let me carry your bag. Let me take your coat. That type. And then he said, excuse me, uh, Brother John, uh, I need to have your, your jacket, your, your sports coat. And, and he took it, and he's, like, uh, you know, like running a, a, a comb over it to, like, little pieces of lint and things like that. He's cleaning it off. Then he said to me, excuse me, um, I need your shoes. Well, I, th I was intending to wear them today. No, no. He took my shoes, and he's in the corner polishing them, shining them up. And this, this was a man. This was not a, a young boy or something. This, this is a grown man. This, this man is older than I am. And so, you know, he brought back my shoes and said, here, let me help you put that on. Let me help you put your jacket on, you know. And then, you know, when I go to the service, he says, let me take your bag. And, and he's just trying to be helpful. And so I said to the pastor, I've never seen this man. Is he someone that's on staff here? And the pastor said, no, he's a church member. He's just serving to help. And I said, well, who is he? The pastor said, he's a colonel in the U.S. Air Force. Let that sink in a little bit. See, a lot of times people have this attitude, I'm too big to serve. Let me help you out. You're not. You're not. You're not that big. If Jesus, the head, 
could wash stinky, dirty feet, then I think we could help out in some ways. And it doesn't demean our status in society. It just shows our love and devotion to Christ. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The body of Christ in the earth today is not completely healthy. Let's, let's imagine that I'm the, uh, the, the doctor. I'm checking the vital signs of the body of Christ. And I see, you know, there's an irregular heartbeat here. And uh, there's shortness of breath maybe. And, and you know, the, the, the coloring. This, this, this person is not completely healthy. Recently, uh, today, some, I read someone, some, some woman posted a very interesting uh, comment. She said this, that for many years, she was on the praise and worship team of a very large church in America. She didn't say which one. I don't know. And, and, and she said this was a very major church, you know, in America. And she said, and I was there for many years. She said, the thing was, I was not born again. And nobody seemed to bother about that. And nobody ever even asked about that. And then she said later on, she stepped down and, and she, she, she got married, had a baby. And she said, only then did I understand receiving Christ as Savior and I was born again. How could you be in the middle of something so big and so vast and, and not even be saved? See, the, 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 the body's not as healthy as it should be. Amen? I saw this video clip recently online. And there's a pastor in America of, a, of, a, of a, again, a large church, uh, uh, evidently a very popular church, influential church. I'd never heard of it. And I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to make a point, okay? And, and I never heard of this church, but my kids, my children said, oh, yeah, this is so-and-so. Everybody knows him. I said, really? Okay, I didn't know. And so in this video clip, he's saying while he's preaching, I don't understand why the Bible is so unclear about gender. I wish, I wish God had it made it more clear. And one day, I'm gonna, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord, why is it not more clear? I, I, saw, I saw that and I thought, no, no, friend, it is clear. In the beginning, he made them male and female. It couldn't be any more clear. No, you're just deceived and you're compromising to be liked by the world. And this is not just some aberration, some, you know, little flaky thing. This is something that's like very popular. I mean, this church is evidently something that's very influential. That's not good. That, 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 that would call, that, that's a reason for concern. Are listening to me? In my lifetime, I'm almost done. This is my last Wednesday. So I'm going to give you everything I've got. In my lifetime, the church has gone from revivalists and teachers to marketing specialists and influencers who exchange the truth for what's trending and exchange the divine approval for God, from God, of God, for the applause of men. Hallelujah. But I believe in our day, and I know many good things are happening, and I believe in our day that God is raising up strong churches. And no church is stronger than its weakest member. In India, historically, there have been big, you know, uh, 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 attention-grabbing meetings with prominent men, but weak churches. That's not God's answer. We need, and, and when I say weak, I don't just mean like small buildings. I mean like each member of the body 
is rooted in the word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. They know who they are in Christ. They know how to use their faith. They know how to exercise authority. Hallelujah. They know how to pray effectively. They know how to share the gospel themselves. They know how to minister to other people. Each one of them is mature and more and more like Christ. That's what we need in this country. Can I get an amen? Let's all stand up to our feet. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Can we give God?